We'd like to say first of all tonight that we truly are indeed thankful to the good Lord for the privilege that we have to be with you and our brethren and sisters and this eternal bound people. We all we are going to, in, in eternity go spend a place somewhere either heaven or hell. I'm thankful that you're interested enough to know uh, what we're studying on tonight to try to to, to gain knowledge to help you say it. See, that's what we truly need. Uh, I don't claim to be a, a really a historian, even though I've tried to study a little bit in that matter. And I certainly don't have the answers to all the problems that we're faced with over this land and country. I'm 72 years old. The Lord called me to preach on the fourth Tuesday afternoon in June in 1972. I've been trying to preach the gospel, the study, the learn for this many years. And the older I get, the more I study, the less seemingly I, I know. When I first on my calling to preach, uh, you could go anywhere in the Enon Association or the Wiseman or the Siloam. And, and they, they would gladly give a young preacher an appointment. And the older preachers would try to help the young preachers to, to grow because they knew that they weren't going to live forever. And for the gospel to go on, they had to have young preachers. They knew that. There was an atmosphere of unity among God's people. But something happened to it. And now we're living in a time of disunity. And it's going to take God's people to want to get back together in unity in order to have unity. I thought this afternoon, I was looking at this uh, a little pamphlet I, I received. It's called the General Association of Missionary Baptists in 1969. And it was held with Bethlehem Missionary Baptist Church at 1403 Lishy Avenue, Nashville, Tennessee. The moderator of it was Brother F.W. Lambert. The clerk of it was H.C. Vanderpool. Uh, out of the Enon Association, in 1968, they had 24 churches in the Enon Association in 68. In the Wiseman Association in 69, they had 25. In the Siloam Association in 69, we had 31. A total of 80 churches. They were all fellowshipping. Wasn't that wonderful? I counted up at one time, I think there was about 30 churches here in Macon County that was all in fellowship. And there were about 30 churches over Dallas County where I was at that was in fellowship. But for some reason, in 1969, we came together and we decided to, as these three associations, to try to draw a line on our Southern Baptist brethren. And I want to, I felt like reading this tonight to show you that what our position was in that day and time on our Southern Baptist brethren. It says here, uh, be it resolved on page 5, since the days of Christ and the apostles, the true churches known as today as missionary Baptist churches have been traced through 20 centuries by the strict adherence to the observance of the two ordinances of the church, baptism and the Lord's Supper. That since it is known, a known fact that today some of the churches of the Southern Baptist Convention have departed from the biblical observance of these ordinances, but at the same time, others are still scriptural in the observance of these ordinances, that under these considerations, that we do not withdraw fellowship from all Southern Baptist Convention churches. 
but rather make an investigation of each individual church in our granting or receiving letters as to their stand in the observance of the ordinances. That this rule for fellowship be used regardless of whether the church be in, of the convention or otherwise. That an eye of love and consideration be kept even among our own churches. And that was our position in 1969. Oh, that is the last time we as a society took a position on how, what we should do about fellowship in Southern Baptist churches. Now, the reason I bring this out is for this simple reason. We left each church at that time in 69 with the understanding that it was, it was their responsibility. If someone joined their church from what we, from a church affiliated with the convention, it was their responsibility to check that church out. If that church was still sound in its practices, then there was no reason you could not take that member by letter. No reason whatsoever. But yet, we had some brethren right after this that decided that uh, in 69 that we drew a line that we wasn't going to fellowship any more churches in the convention. And then they started drawing lines on churches that were fellowshipping churches. That, and he got the A, B, C, D. And now, and then before long, we got a, a terrible, terrible confusion. Now, also at that meeting, something happened. I'm going to bring this out now, but we'll deal, deal with this later on in, in the lessons. But, but I, want to, I feel like I should bring this out now. It's something that happened that ought not have ever have happened, folks. And, and, and we're guilty. Us Baptists, we're guilty of doing it. Uh, we invited all the churches of the Inner Association, all the churches of the Wiseman, and all the churches of, of the Siloam. We had a church in, in the Enon Association, and a good church, good people, by the name of Caney Fork. And they had a young preacher there. Uh, I mean, and he turned out to be a really, a, a really, really good preacher. Very humble man. I, I got acquainted with him and love him dearly. And now his, his pilgrimage here on earth is about gone. But they called him to pastor a church called North Carthage. And I want, I want to read here, uh, if I can kind of, what, what, we, what we did on, on that occasion. We, as the three associations, moved that this assembly not seek messengers from Caney Fort Baptist Church at the Elon Baptist Association on the grounds of their tolerating alien immersion, this being on the, on the fact that a member of this church, Elder Charles A. Gentry, was serving as pastor of North Carthage Baptist Church, which had received Elder R.D. Brooks by a letter from Peyton's Creek Baptist Church, the same church known to be guilty of and endorsing alien immersion, of which many of Baptist churches have already withdrawn fellowship. After questioning Brother Gentry in a discussion of the same, the motion carried, 41 to 3. Now, I hope that y'all don't think that by that motion carrying 41 to 3 that everybody was satisfied with that decision, because they were not. Now, remember I told you Enon had a, a 20... 24 churches in their association at that time. Only five of these churches attended this meeting. The others did not. And they did not go along with this decision at all. 
We find here that out of uh, 98 messengers that seated that day, uh, 41 voted to not see them, 3 voted against, and 53 abstained from even voting on the issue. So it, the majority of the people did not even vote to, uh, to not seat Kenny Ford that time. And from that point on, I'm going to be honest with you, of course, of course, when we get into the discussion uh, at the beginning, from that point on, up to this, you'll, you'll see that, that uh, North Carthage should have always been recognized as a church. Amen. Peyton's Creek should have never been censored, and so forth. And when we get through with this discussion, if you're honest, and I'm as, I'm as fair as I can be on if you're honest, you will agree that we have fought thus and a lot of souls, no doubt, have died and went to hell because of our confusions as God's people. And that's pitiful. But now, Brother Swarper, he called me while I was down in Florida on vacation and wanted me to title this lesson. Well, I never thought about no title. I'm not good at titles anyway. So, so what popped in mind was correcting irregularities. Now, what some brethren call irregularities are just com- used to be just common practices. Yeah, among Baptist people, but they're calling them irregularities, not fellowship and all that. But now, what we need to first determine, and I'm sure I heard that Lafette had, had a Bible study not long ago, and this subject came up in it, what a true church is. Now, if you ask Baptists over this country what it takes to constitute a Baptist church, you get all kinds of answers. Many of them haven't even studied Baptist principles or what Baptists have stood for down through the years on what constitutes a scriptural church. But now, in the New Hampshire Declaration of Faith, it's very clear on what we as Baptists were. They say that, that, that was written in 1833, I think, and we all pretty much adhere to it down in this day. It's one of our cardinal doctrines. But now, this is what our forefathers said. This is what constitutes a Baptist church. You can go further than that in the London Confession, and, and they'll tell you basically the same thing. And if you go back to the west, to the to the, to, uh, the Philadelphia, it'll say the same too. But now, in Article 13, it states: Now, we, when I say we believe, we as Baptists believe that a visible church of Christ is a congregation of baptized believers associated by covenant in the faith and the fellowship of the gospel. Observing the ordinances of Christ, governed by his laws, and exercising the gifts, rights, and privileges invested in them by his word. That its only scriptural offices are bishops or pastors and deacons whose qualifications, claims, and duties are defined in the epistles of Timothy and Titus. Now that's what New Hampshire Declaration of Faith says a Baptist church is, a true church. Did you notice that they didn't say you had to have an arm? How I many of y'all have heard that argument? Oh, you got to have an arm to be a scriptural church. See, the lack of knowledge of history—they don't know what an arm was. Yeah. You know, you know what arm? How arm started? The settlers would come from North Carolina to Tennessee or Kentucky. They would settle in one little area and they would constitute a church. As the people scattered out and, and drifted out then these people would start worshiping in another locality as an arm from that one church. And, and then as they got strong enough, and history said they had to be strong enough to what was the carry out discipline and support a pastor. But when they got to that point, then they would constitute that arm into a, a mission or a church. Now, if you had the material in the locality as they came to this area, if there was already baptized material, 
then they would just constitute themselves into a, a, a church and they didn't have to have an arm. So whenever we take the position, oh, it's not a scriptural church if they don't have an arm, ask them to trace their own history back and I'll grant you they'll go through a church that don't have an arm. Yeah. I, I got to tell you, we had an older brother in Macedonia years ago. He, he started taking that position. Oh, Macedonia, why blown? We have an arm. Don't get me wrong. We had an arm from Rough Creek. But our problem was this. Rough Creek didn't have an arm. <laughs> Now, now, what does that put us at Old Macedonia if you have to have an arm? All rough kick was a bunch of brethren came together. Actually, Old Salem Church disbanded and a few remnant left and others moved in. They just came together and they sent out letters and asked the churches in that area to send their ordained means over there and constitute them to a church. Well, that's what, that's what they did. They said, and they, they constituted rough kick in the church. Well, now, we had a good brother that wrote the history of Pleasant Hill that came out of Old Macedonia. And in his history, he says that that a, a tram of fork extended an arm over there to constitute. He won't get his arm. So he said, tram of fork extended that arm. All right, fine. Uh, Brother Rick Paris, who's a good friend of mine, he's a clerk of tram of fork, so I asked him to go back and look it up in history for me. You know what he found out? Tram of fork made a motion a second to grant the ordained means of liberty to go over on, on the waters of Rough Creek and help constitute a church. Folks, that's not an arm. See what I'm saying? So, so you don't find that nowhere in our doctrine. You might find it in opinions. But we are to stand on what Baptists teach as doctrine. And what makes a church is an assembly. Not a disassembly, but an assembly of born-again believers that are scripturally baptized, that's entered a covenant, giving themselves to each other, the Lord and to each other to advance the kingdom of God. And if you have that in a locality, you have a scriptural Baptist church regardless of what anybody else says. Now, what do we require for it to be a scriptural baptism? We hear a lot about alien baptism, don't we? Did you know Baptists used to never question Baptist baptism? You know what Baptists used to, be, used to call alien baptism? It, Catholic baptism to us was alien. Anyone that came from the Catholic denomination to a Baptist church, we baptized them upon a profession of their faith. Why? Because we did not recognize the Catholic baptism as being scriptural. Why? Because they are the woman in the 17th chapter of Revelations, the mother of harlots, and their, their head is the devil himself. Now, take that for what it's worth to you. Also, we do not recognize as Baptists any of the baptisms of the, of the denominations that descended from the mother harlot who was the mother of many harlots, which is all these denominations that came out of it. Who were some of them? Well, the first one was the Lutherans established by Martin Luther. We do not recognize the, their baptism as being scriptural and anyone that comes from them to a Baptist church on a profession of their faith, we immerse them and baptize them into the Lord's church. The next one was Presbyterian, the John Calvin. They also came out of the harlot during the Reformation, and we do not recognize their baptism. The next one was King Henry VIII and the Episcopalian Church, which is Anglican Church, which is called the Church of, of England, in whom their head died not long ago. She was Queen Elizabeth. 
She was the head of that institution. We do not recognize the baptism of that day with the decline. They're all alien to us as Baptists. Now, anyone that has descended from them, for instance, the Methodists came out of the Church of England. We do not recognize the Methodists' baptism as being scriptural. And we're not saying any of these people are lost. They could all be in the family of God if they've been regenerated, born again. We're not, we're not questioning whether they're saved or not saved. We're just saying their baptism is not the baptism that the Bible teaches is authentic to be bound to a Baptist church. Alright, we don't recognize the Methodists. We don't recognize the holiness movement that came out of the Methodists. We do not recognize the, the, the disciples of Christ or Alexander Campbell's bunch of baptism that came out of the seceded Presbyterians. Why? Because none of them were Baptists. I have no problem of saying that these people are alien baptized and have no business being received into a Baptist church. But when we call sound Baptist baptisms alien, I have a problem with that, folks. And you ought to too. And that's what's happened in the last few years. Now, what does it take to be scripturally baptized? First, it takes the proper subject, don't it? One who has given evidence of being born again. We all require that. Anybody joins our churches, we, they got to tell us what the Lord saved them at. we got to hear that. Why? Do we want to judge their testimony? No. We're not judging their testimony. We're just judging whether or not they're, they have a scriptural testimony. But we're not saying they're saved or lost. They can lie. You know, what, you know how I know they lie? Because John the Baptist required the same thing when he baptized people and he baptized Judas in the care and he died. Jesus said was saved. Alright, so it takes the proper subject, one who's given evidence of being saved. It takes the proper authority. A Baptist church. Now somebody says, oh, you can't prove that. I can prove it to my satisfaction. And if you'll listen and be honest, it won't be to your satisfaction. Jesus established His kingdom during His personal ministry here on earth. Daniel, Isaiah, David, Micah, and others all prophesied that God would set a kingdom up here on this earth during the personal ministry of His Son. Most all of them pointed it to being established on the top of a mountain. Most of them did. And we find in the New Testament where God sent John to prepare people for the coming of the Lord, didn't he? Didn't he? And John required testimony of nature to grace before he baptized them and then after they were baptized they became fit subjects to go into this church kingdom. Jesus in the 6th chapter of John no in the 6th chapter of Luke the 3rd chapter of Mark the Bible said Jesus went into a mountain and he prayed all night long. When it was day he called unto him his disciples. And out of them, he ordained twelve and named them apostles. Now, do you get the picture? He's on a mountain. The Bible prophecy says the kingdom is going to start on a mountain. The prophecy was there's going to be a material prepared. Jesus called all this material that John had prepared to that mountain that day. Somebody said, well, how did he do it? You ever been saved? That's how he done it. Holy Spirit knocked at their hearts and said, Come! They came together in a collective body. 
When Jesus assembled them on that mountain, that became an assembly of born again, baptized believers. The first church. Then after He established that church, He ordained the first ordination. And out of that church, He named twelve and named them apostles. And that's where the proper authority is now. That same church, when he went back to glory, he stood, stood right amongst them on Mount Olivet. And he said, All power is given to me in heaven and earth. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. And lo, I will be with you always, even until the end of the, of the world. Luke said, Thus it is written, and thus it behooved Christ to suffer and die on the third day to rise again, and that repentance and remission of sins shall be preached in all the world in His name, beginning at Jerusalem. So this little church that Jesus established on the mountain and had a limited commission to the Jews waited there at Pentecost until this miraculous power came upon them. And then they went to all the world. That's when the authority came to the Lord's church to baptize. Now that is your proper authority. Now folks, I'm going to be honest, I never thought about doing all this tonight, but nevertheless, y'all believe in the Lord and I do too. Proper administrator. What is a proper administrator? It's one, by Baptist doctrine, now not by opinions, by Baptist doctrine, it's one who is given evidence of being saved. One who is given evidence of a calling to preach and one who's had hands laid on him by a Baptist presbytery. That's all, it, that's all it's required. I can't look in the heart of any preacher and see where they're saved. You can't either. I can't look in the heart of any individual and see if God's called them to preach. You can't either. Those two things we have to take by faith. And if it proves out later that that individual was neither saved, scripturally baptized, or called to preach, the work that he did in his ministry stands valid because of the office, not the individual. Amen. That's Baptist doctrine, folks. Amen. If it didn't, then the marriages and everything else that he performed in that office as an ordained minister would be null and void. Right. Just that plain and simple. Whenever, now, we start doing like some of us is done, when, when it proves out that, oh, somebody, like, like an Bless his heart, like a brother up in, in Kentucky, where I'm from. Uh, he had been pastoring churches. He he got saved. What happened was he he joined the church there. At, at, I won't call the name, but he joined that church. And then the next year he got saved. He he, he, he wasn't accountable when he joined. He just thought you know he joined because his friends did. Next year he got saved. He never thought no more about it. He got called to preach, and they ordained him. And I don't know why they didn't ask him when he's ordained about baptism, but they didn't. You know. And then he down down somewhere heard a, a sermon on alien birds and realized that uh oh, I I I I'm not scripturally baptized. Well, he already baptized a bunch of people. Now, if those people there had to realize what Baptist doctrine was, they wouldn't have tore their home church up there. But they decided they needed to go back and rebaptize everyone that he baptized because he wasn't baptized scripturally himself. If they had took Baptist doctrine and stood on Baptist doctrine. That church would still be sliding strong. You know what happened? They did a bunch of people. They quit coming. And this church went down to hardly nothing. Yeah. But this is still on Baptist. Oh, so th- that's the thing about proper administrators. One who gives evidence of being saved. One that called preach. And one that's had a hand laid by the presbytery. 
It's plain and simple. Now, proper method. What is the proper method? It's immersion. It's not sprinkling. It's not pouring like, like Catholics and Episcopalians and Presbyterians and, and, and the Lutherans do. It's, it's, it's a baptism is a burial. Have y'all heard this new doctrine going out? Oh, I've been baptized in the Holy Spirit when I'm saved. That's a false doctrine, folks. If you've heard that, if you have a young preacher teaching that, call their hands and have them stop. Baptism is a burial, not a birth. Just that plain and simple. That's the reason you lay them down in the liquid grave. You're burying their past. And you're raising them up if they're honest to walk in the newness of life. Pointing to the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. That's what all symbolic of. It's immersion, not, not sprinkling, not pouring. And it, the proper mode is in the name singular of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. If you notice the word name was singular there, you know why? God is one, not three. Yeah. It's not in the name of, uh, of the gods, but just in the name of the Father, and in the name of the Son, and in the name of the Holy Ghost. And that is the proper way. Now, each Baptist church, and we need to guard this here at Lafayette, Macedonia, wherever our membership is, each Baptist church is autonomous in its existence and does not depend on another church or entity for its ability to carry out the full work of the gospel. Do you all understand what I'm saying there? If Macedonia decides to tell y'all what to do over here at Lafayette on something or other, we have no authority to do that. If you at Lafayette listen to us at Macedonia and yield to us and do what we tell you to do to have fellowship, then you know what you've done? You've betrayed your head. It's just that plain and simple. Jesus is the head of a Baptist church. The Holy Spirit is the leader in a Baptist church. And the Bible is our ruling guide of faith. So we're autonomous. The Fed has all authority to carry the gospel to all the world. Either singular by yourself or you can join in associations with your brethren and sisters and collectively as the aggregate get that gospel out. But you still have the... I hear, I heard a, hear it is for like that. Oh, we're just a part of the church. No, I'm a part of old Macedonia. I'm one member of that. But each church is an individual church with all authority. And we're all a part of the great kingdom. Amen. Now, each church has the sovereign authority from God in its great commission to bind and loose members into its body by the authority of God's word. I'll tell you a scripture that's being misused today. Y'all, y'all heard it. Whatsoever thou bound on earth shall be bound in heaven. Whatsoever thou loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Saying that whatever church has authority now to either bind somebody or lose somebody. Papa, you know what the original is in that Greek on that? Whatsoever is bound in heaven shall be bound on earth. That's the way King James should have translated that language. And whatsoever is loosed in heaven shall be loosed on earth. We cannot bind anyone to the Lord's church that God has bound himself. If we could, if God had to recognize that, when we, we see somebody in our body that's lost, baptize them in our body, if we have the authority as some teach, then that lost individual, God would have to recognize them as being saved and go to heaven. But God don't do that, folks. He does the binding, 
And he does. You know why I know that? When Jesus told Peter and James and John, he said, Who does man say that I the Son of Man am? Peter said, Well, some say that I am some prophet, some the other. He said, But who do you say that I am, Peter? Peter said, Well, thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. You know what Jesus said to Peter? Blessed art thou, Simon Barjonah, for flesh and blood is not revealed this unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven. Ain't that beautiful? And I say unto thee that thou art Peter, but upon this rock I will build my church. Did Jesus leave it in the hands of old Macedonia to build our church? No, survey. Boy, we have we have bad enough bastards trying to follow him. But can you imagine if the Lord left us there and do it ourselves? No, Jesus never did leave the building of his church in the hands of the people. He said, I will build my church. And the gates of hell, that word hell there is Hades, which means death, which means a very, very more, a, a stronger point than just a little burning in hell. Death is simply means it will never go out of existence. Yeah. The gates of Hades, or hell, shall not prevail against it. That's what we believe about these things. Each church is equal in, to her sister church in the kingdom of heaven. Macedonia can never say we're better than y'all, or y'all say better than we. Because we're equals. One of us is not greater than, or others not lesser than. One doesn't have more power or influence with God than the other. God sees us all as His little equals. And I'm thankful it's that way. As equals, one church cannot usurp authority over another. How many of y'all heard that false doctrine in the last 20 years? Oh, they're usurping authority over us. They took our excluded member. You ever heard of that? Well, first of all, if they've excluded them, they're not a member of that church anyway. They ought to go back and read their Bible. Yeah. Some of these brethren, they I'll take all these silly arguments and cause all this disruption. If they just take time to read the Bible, they'll find out that Jesus said to the one, if you hear not the church, and I won't go through the whole thing, but if you hear not the church, let it be as a, pub, uh, a, a public heathen man or a publican. Now that means excluding if the individual will not hear the church over that matter. Now I'll ask this question to those that think they have these people that are their excluded members. How many of these heathens and publicans out here in Macon County are members of your church too then? Because they're all in the equal class there. And you know they're not. You know lost people as not members of the Lord's church. And neither is someone that's excluded a member of the Lord's church. You know what Baptist doctrine is on that? I love Baptist doctrine. I'm a Baptist. I want to be an old-fashioned missionary Baptist. I mean, that's, that's in my heart. I fall weak on that. But that's my desire, to be an old-fashioned missionary Baptist. You know what the Baptist position on, on, on that right there is on, on receiving somebody that's excluded? Look in the... What is it? Old landmarkism, what is it? I think it's page by J.R. Grace. And this is what we've been hearing for years. It says, when a person has been excluded from a body, one church has no right to say who shall or who shall not receive that member into their body. So what does that mean? That means if you... Let's see. If y'all get mad at Brother Randy and exclude him over here at Lafayette, once y'all put him out, y'all have more authority to say whether Macedonia can receive him or not. That's right. Yeah. Why? Because he's no longer a part of you. That's right. Yeah. 
That's another one of the foolish arguments that started since the 1969 disturbance here. Now, now what, listen to this. As equals one church cannot assert authority over another, the acts of a church are valid and binding when they accord with the law of Christ. When they do not, they are null and void. In other words, if we do something here at the Federal Macedonia that's not in accordance with the Bible, then what we've done is null and void. Nobody has to recognize it. Null and void. Now, with, with these things in mind, setting the, the, the format of what we call a Baptist church and the authority of it, then we, we're going to go uh, into our first discussion. If I may want to do them with my Let's see here. I have to lay out and got what's done with it. Alright. Now once I get through with this discussion here tonight, I will turn it back over to Brother Benji and uh, it will be opened up for questions. I will answer any question within my abilities that any one of you want to ask me. I will not dispute with you tonight. I will not argue with you tonight. I mean that's that's my heart. If you don't agree with what the history says, I can't help that. I'm not giving you my opinions. I'm giving you what the history says. And however, I want this very clear. If you decide that you would like to debate it, you name a time. You set the place. Let me know. I'll debate you. On anything I teach, preach, or practice. Now, our first issue today is going to be uh, Salt Lick and Defeated Creek. How many of y'all are familiar with Defeated Creek? Good church, ain't it? I love them. I have no question of their sound. They have done a great work down through the years since they were constituted. How many of y'all are aware that they were constituted out of excluded members? Hmm. Uh-oh. Where would that put them at? You mean that, uh, that a church can exclude members and, and, and then they can be organized into a church? Certainly. Certainly they can. By Baptist doctrine. They can't by somebody's opinion, but by, by Baptist doctrine they can. Why? Because once they were excluded from Salt Lake, there were no more members of Salt Lake. That, there's, there's your axiom, folks. Salt Lake had no more authority over these 36 members after they excluded them. The Salem Association understood and knew that because they knew Baptist doctrine back then. We don't understand that at this day and time, but we have to say Baptist doctrine. But now to, to prove to you that I'm telling you the truth, Salt Lake, Right here, I've got a copy of the Salem Minutes of 1837. On the table of contents, it's called Salt Lick. It seats Miles West and T. Uh, uh, Dillahay as the messengers. And on the table of contents, it shows they excluded 36 people. Keep that in mind. If you notice on page one, Miles West from Salt Lick preached the, the introductory sermon. So Miles West was not considered out of order in practice, was he? No. Salt Lake was seated so that Salt Lake was still considered a scriptural church. How many of y'all heard say, oh, they, they were off in the heart, they departed, they were off in the heart, so listen. I'm sure you've heard that. If you will notice, son, Miles West and Bart Deeds were seated as, as messengers and there was no problems until the minority that petitioned the association and excluded, the association decided to 
to take the minority, minority's request up. You know what the association did? They appointed a committee, committee or a president is what they called him, to go to Salt Lake and try to resolve this problem between the minority and the majority. Well, well folks, have you ever wondered, does the association have that kind of authority? If LaFette still belonged to the wise men, if y'all had a problem here, and if the church itself wished for a, a, the, the, the wise men to send you a committee to help you resolve the problem, you could make that request and that would be okay. Mm-hmm. But see, Salt Lake didn't make this request. And one of the very rules of an association is that they shall not interfere with the internal rights of the church. Here Salt Lake was fixing to interfere with the internal business of Salt Lake Church and was going to try to undo what the majority of Salt Lake did. You know, you know what the problem was over? In about 1814 around there, Tennessee decided to start what they called the Tennessee United Baptist Convention. All voluntary. Every church in Tennessee could either be a participate in it or not participate in it, and it wasn't a point of fellowship. The churches of the Salem Association as a whole began to participate in this Tennessee Baptist Convention. However, miles west, Salt Lake and some others decided they didn't think that was scriptural. They didn't think that, that they, they, they felt like, according to history, that the church was the highest authority on this earth, and we should not take our powers and give it to some kind of secular activity. And you know what's good about that? I agree with Miles West on that. Do you? Yes. Miles West was right in what he was saying there. There should never have been a Tennessee Baptist Convention and there should have never been a Southern Baptist Convention. But we've got both to deal with. And look what it's brought us. The Association for the President to wait on Salt Lake to bring reconciliation. Miles West refused, and I don't blame him. I really don't blame him. Now, that's not, that's not what you're going to get out, out of the other people, but that's, that's what happened. Miles West refused and withdrew from the association. The association then appointed to organize the excluded minority into a church. And I can read it right here for you. Memorial, and this is right out of the minutes. Memorial, a minority of members of Salt Lake resolved that the Presbytery consisted of Elders John Wiseman, William Bransford, William Flowers, Jonathan Wiseman, me at the crossroads of Defeated Creek on Friday before the Fifth Lord's Day incident, and, 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 and constitute said brethren and as many others that may wish to join them into a church and report to the next association. Now, was these excluded members received into a church anywhere? No. No. Did a church grant an arm down there for, to constitute these people? No. Does, it, does a, a, an association have the authority to appoint a president to go organize a church? No. no. But is the Phoebe Creek a scriptural Baptist church? Yes. Why? They're an assembly of born-again, scripturally baptized people that enter the covenant, giving themselves to the Lord and each other. That's what we require. And that's the reason Baptists have never had a problem with the city group being a church. Nor should we begin to have a problem with that in this day and time. Or in, now, now that's a precedent. You know what a precedent is? It's a fact. It's something that happens that sets the tone for other things that comes along. 
Now, if Baptists are faced with any, any time down from that point on down through history, if Baptists are faced with a similar problem like this, we can look back at the Philly Creek and see how these brethren handled this irregularity, and we're in good shape as Baptists. Just that plain and simple. Now, after, in, the, in the history of the Middle Tennessee Baptist, Brother Grimes, you can, if y'all want me to, I can read it, but, but I, I don't really uh, want to at this point. But what Brother Grimes basically does, he tells about how the brethren went down there and constituted them on that church, in that, that church, and, and all that. And, and uh, then uh, we find that that right after this, now Peter Creek was was organized one month, and the very next month we have a, we have the organization of the Round Lake Baptist Association. Now remember, Jonathan Wiseman was one of the brethren that constituted. Uh, Defeated Creek into a church. I want y'all to keep that in mind. William Brunsford was another one. Daniel Smith was another one. And I hope Lafayette we'll don't ever take the position that them two brethren were unscriptural because Daniel Smith and, and, and um, William, William uh, constituted y'all. But, but so, Brad Brunsford. Now, and, and you'll find this in C.B. Hassel's History of, of Baptist, page. Uh, 912, it's the organization of the Round Lake Association of the Primitive Baptists. It says, was constituted on Friday before third Sunday in November 1837 at Cedar Creek Meeting House, Wilson County, Tennessee. The following churches were represented in its formation. Salt Lake, Round Lake, Spring Creek, Mount Pleasant, Testament. Five churches. From Mount Pleasant, the one that's seated in it, as a messenger, Jonathan Wiseman. Same one that helped constitute the Feeder Creek the month before. A committee of arrangements was appointed consistent of Jonathan Wiseman, Jonas Bradley, Thomas Harding, Colin Stewart, Thomas Phillips, with a moderator and clerk. So not only did Jonathan Wiseman help constitute the Feeder Creek into a Baptist church, he went down there the next month and helped constitute these five churches into an association and had no problem with either one of it. And the church at Mount Pleasant, he was pastor there. He pastored a church that was in this, what we call, uh, Primitive Baptist Association, Hardshell. Jonathan Wiseman was one of the pastors. Now, have you ever heard people try to justify the kingdom quick because, oh, John, Miles West and all that bunch went off into Hardshellism? I heard that in 1996 at Antioch from a brother in the pulpit that's caught condemning the book I wrote. If he had read his history, he would have known that Jonathan, that Jonathan Wiseman had went down and helped constitute this and, and that at the Round Lake Association was not unscriptural, nor had they progressed in the Daniel Parker's two seed and spirit doctrine at that time that they later did progress into it. You see, he just didn't know. Now, one more other thing I want to clarify here tonight about, about uh, Salt Lake. They ordained a preacher by the name of T.W. Matthews. And I, pre I hope and pray that y'all will keep Brother Matthews' name in your memory. Because a little later on in this study, you're going to find that the, the brother that took such a harsh position on Brother R.D. Brooks as being alien was alien by his positions. Himself. Now, 
Keep that in mind. Now that will close. Let's see here. Now let's go on with further. In 1838 minutes of the Southern Association, page 2, what it says there is that the association uh, appointed Jonathan Wiseman to go in the neighborhood of Taylor G. Gilliam and preach the gospel. Taylor G. Gilliam was in the minority of Testament church that never constituted. See, the majority went off with the primitive. The minority never constituted. So they sent Brother, Brother Jonathan Wiseman in this area to preach there at the minority of testament. Now, remember now, Jonathan Wyden helped organize the defeated creed. Jonathan Wyden helped constitute the Round Lake Association. Now here's Jonathan Wyden in 1838 going up there and doing a mission work that will later turn into Siloam. Keep all that in mind. Alright, also, I'll point this out. In the 1939, or in the in the 38 minute, they recognized the minority of Round Lick as the true church of the, of the faction. Round Lick, the minority never did organize. Uh, Southern Association just recognized the minority as the true church. Now remember, the majority was still the church. They were in, they were in the Round Lick Association. Minority stayed with the Salem, so they just recognized them as being the true church. They didn't organize. Again, go back to our definition to see why they didn't have to organize. They were in the same born again believers. All right. Uh, in 39 minutes, the minority of Brush Creek was recognized as a church. The minority of New Hope was recognized. And the minority of Hickman's Creek was all recognized. None of them organized. They were just all recognized by the association as being a church. And they made this ruling. The, the majority of Brush Creek and New Hope have departed from the principles of the United Baptists and the gospel. They were accusing the Round Lake Association of departing from, from the gospel. And yet now Jonathan Wiseman, still in the Round Lake Association, passed in Mount Pleasant, and they sent him over here to do the work at Silo. See, they didn't consider it a doctrinal issue, and neither should we. Uh, that's as far as we're going to go on this issue. Uh, 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 I, I guess we've been, I've done probably using the time up, but uh, I never will put on time. If you, I'll turn back over to Brother Benji, and if you have any questions that I can help you with, I'll be glad to try to help you. Brother Benji, right. <clears throat> I'd like to thank Brother Carter for coming tonight and looking forward to. Uh, our next meeting, but at this time we'll open up. Is there any questions that you might have? Well, Carter, what you've talked about is the split of 1837. Split of 1837. Had a, it had a wide scale effect. I know I've talked to you before. Church over Case Cove in uh, that area of East Tennessee was a, uh, a situation of that where 13 members were excluded and recognized as a church. It, it was all over the country that way. None of y'all have any questions? Either I'm a good teacher or I've left y'all in confusion. I this, this was. I did. So, because I'm younger than all my life, so if there's an excluded member, okay, and I, I think I 
an excluded member, remember, say if we exclude one here, and they can go over to another church and join because they're no longer a member of this body. That's exactly right. They don't have to come back to us and apologize. We don't have authority over them anyway. It's between them and God, correct? That, that is correct. Now, now let me tell you what the Baptist position is on that. If if y'all excluded Brother Randy and he killed Macedonia, we, we wouldn't take him immediately by statement. You know why? Because that's not showing y'all courtesy. What Macedonia would do is send a committee with Brother Randy over here to your conference and see what, why y'all excluded him. And if he had a justifiable reason to, to be excluded, then we would require him to get right with the Lord You know why we would do that as Baptists? If he hasn't made y'all a good member, and he's got too much pride to humble himself and get things corrected with y'all, he won't make us a good member either. That's right. But now, there's a difference between church courtesy and church authority. Yes, Macedonia would have the right to do that, but we should show you the courtesy. Correct, but there's also been tons of wrongful exclusions. There, there is, but they have to be made. Now, let me tell you about wrongful exclusions. If you, if yeah, you go ahead. No, no, go. Sir, would you hear standing from the microphone? Oh, I'm sorry, sir. Thank you. <laughs> can you can you hear me now? <laughs> there's a, a lot of times people will say that they've been wrongfully excluded when they haven't been. And that's the reason the church should always investigate when somebody says that I've been wrongfully excluded. In other words, here's my position because it's Baptist positions. If Macedonia excluded me, it's my duty to try to, 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 to make things right with Macedonia where I belong. Now, I might feel like that I was wrongfully excluded, but they felt like I'd done something I should have been excluded for. So I need to try to get things right with them. And if I've got the right attitude, the right mannerism, about it, then generally I can get forgiven and be restored. However, sometimes because of pride and prejudice and family ties, we exclude somebody and we won't forgive them for nothing. And that's the time that you have to investigate and uh, they'll petition of the church. I've got a, I've got a copy. I, I'm going to use that later on where Brother J. McDonald used that very illustration where a preacher was excluded from a church in the, I think the Hood Association. And they advised the people not to let him preach in their pulpits until he's received into another church. I'll read that to you, not this week, but not next week either. But, but whenever we get down to that point in our study, I'll, I'll give you that, that record there. Any other questions? Uh, you brought up hard shell Baptist a couple of times. I've heard that term before. What exactly does that mean? That, that is the type of Baptist that believes that God predestinated all things to be as they are. They got that doctrine from John Calvin. But when you go back and study John Calvin's writings, in his latter years he modified that. But the people he was done to late, his doctrine had got out that God predestined all things to be as they are. And so I've heard that saying you have to well, whatever's going to be is going to be. That's not necessarily true. Yeah. In other words, you're either destined to be saved or to be lost and you can't change that. Daniel Parker modified it even more while he was pastor at Hope Hope down in Southern County, the old Hope, not the ones there now. Uh, he invented this, this thing called the two-seated spirit doctrine. And, and what, he, what that is, and that's a form of hard shell, is more fatalism than his hard shell. Uh, you was either born with the spirit of, of God in your heart at birth or the spirit of the devil. 
If you're born with the Spirit of God, you'd be saved no matter what. If you're born with the Spirit of the devil, there's no hope for you. And he probably gave that doctrine, and, and that got that got pretty popular. Matter of fact, as a young preacher, uh, accused Miles West of uh, teaching that doctrine. And it was investigated, and Miles West was cleared of that, and that young preacher from another church, his credentials was pulled, and he was excluded for that, and falsely accused old Brother Miles. But Brother Miles West was not a hard shell. Now, was he a Calvinist? Yes. And if you're not a Calvinist, you ought to be. Because we should believe that God predestined to save all penitent believers, and God predestinated to reject all unpenitent unbelievers. That's predestination, folks. In a nutshell. And he left it up to time and opportunity for the penitent believers to be saved. I did it again, sir. I'm sorry. Oh, you're fine. You're fine. I'm sorry. You're fine. I'm guilty. So if a member is led to join and another body, and they come from a good body, and they're in good order, they're led to another church. And that church man says no. How, how does God stand on that? How do you feel about that? Because I don't think you can... I, man can't stop. You can't stop what God Here's the way I see this, and 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 by the by what the Bible teaches, the Lord said said them in the church daily, such as should be saved. That's an act. God puts them in the church as it pleaseth Him. The Holy Spirit of God moves the people. Now, this right here might be controversial. If it is, you know, we'll discuss it later. Personally, I believe when a person is regenerated and born again, strictly speaking, it's their duty right there to be baptized immediately. Amen. It's not an option. Amen. Scripturally, it's Amen. not an option. Exactly They're to be baptized right then and there and then follow the Lord. If the Lord wants them then somewhere else, then they're supposed to follow the Lord and go there. Uh, I know we got a church not long ago that I think was a member of this church joined down there. And they wouldn't receive them because... They can't fellowship y'all. That's what I heard. And, and somebody said, well, do you believe the Lord was leading them? Oh, yeah, there's no doubt the Lord was leading them. Well, what did he do? If the Lord was leading them, why didn't they take them? Amen. No doubt the Lord was leading them. Well, if you can't take it later, take them a statement then, a recommendation or affiliation. But if the Lord said, I want this member in that church, that's where God put them. And I'm going to tell you, there's no benefit to Lafayette after God has put them somewhere else. And to these people where the Lord leads somebody to join another church and they refuse to grant the letter, like, like, oh, I've got this power over you. I'm going to grant you. Listen, we're not owned by the church as individuals. Our ties to a church are voluntary. God doesn't make any of us join His church or stay in His church. We do that voluntarily. And if the Lord leads somebody me to go somewhere else, I'm supposed to follow the Lord. He has the final say on that matter. And a church that thinks that they can control an individual like a piece of property ought to go back and study the history of religious liberty and how our forefathers died to preserve freedom of yes, worship. Sir. Yes, sir. Anything else? I've heard people even take the position that, well, the Lord wouldn't lead anybody to join the faith. I'd be careful telling the Lord what he can and can't do. Uh, any other questions? 
been good to be here tonight. We've learned a lot. I'm sure you have. A lot of study and time has went into this. Looking forward to two weeks from tonight. We'll try to uh, get back and resume this and uh, pray for Brother Carter between now and then uh, that the Lord would lead and, and maybe we can get more people uh, interested in, in coming and joining. Uh, I, I find it fascinating. Like I said, you grew up, you, you that have been around this part of the country, I didn't. So all of this is still kind of fresh and new to me and I'm still trying to feel my way around it and find out exactly what happened. But I will say this, there's lots of people that say, well, that's not a church, or that's not a church, that's not a church because of this happened. You can find in Corinthians, uh, that church had fornication in it, incest. Paul still called them a church. That's exactly right. So you better be careful. Breaking fellowship is a serious, serious thing. You better have a solid biblical foundation for doing it or for excluding somebody. You better have a biblical reason. It's, it's dangerous ground to, tr- uh, to tread that. So, Any other questions? All right, if everybody's minds at ease, well, I do want to thank the Church of the Fed for giving me this privilege and, and uh, do pray for us. And I do appreciate all the visitors. I appreciate my pastor being here and his wife with us tonight and two of the members from Cato where our pastor's here tonight and, and others that's visiting. I appreciate y'all being here. Brother Max, Sister Marie, Brother Kenneth, and all who else is visitors, but I do appreciate y'all coming and come back the next time. Amen. Amen. Welcome all visitors here to Fed. Everybody's welcome. So, anything further? All right, let's stand to our feet and be dismissed. <clears throat> Brother Joe Carter, would you dismiss us, please? Father Heaven, thank you for the day and any blessings you've given us. Thank you for an opportunity to gather to your house. And thank you for the opportunity to listen to this program.